0: Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Read a short passage for you from chapter 9 as we've seen... The reality of life in a fallen world is presented with all of the symptoms of life in a fallen world and um, all of the lack of justice, the, the confusion, the sin, the lack of purpose, you know, however you want to name it, death. All of these symptoms. We get these glimpses throughout the book where he, he, he points us to God and to joy. And this is one of those where he's pointing us to the Lord and to joy so that we know how to handle life here, so that we know how to live in a fallen world, so that we know where we live. This is not paradise. This is not our home. But look with me in verses 7 through 10 of chapter 9, and we'll limit our look there, and that's more than enough, especially on a communion Sunday. This is the Word of God. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments always be white, let no oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that He has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life. And in your toil at which you toil under the sun, whatever your your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which... You are going. the great. Let's pray together. Lord, as we sung, help us to behold you and to behold you on your throne. Reigning, ruling, directing all of history to its culmination, which is the glory of God in the Lord Jesus Christ as your gospel goes to the ends of the earth. Bless us with your word this morning. Help me to preach your word in the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to hear your word as your word in the power of the Spirit. Focus our attention, our gaze, our hearts above the sun on you. On your throne. For us and not against us. With us never to leave us nor forsake us. Accomplishing all of your purpose in this world and in our lives. Saving and sanctifying us by your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The power of your spirit applying your word to our hearts. So bless the preaching and the hearing of the word. Lift high your son, accomplish all of your purpose. Help us to recalibrate to Your truth so that we know where to look for and how to find true and lasting joy in this world. Help us, Lord. We are dependent upon You. We pray for it and trust You for it. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. One, two, three, four... I just want to celebrate another day of living. I just want to celebrate another day of life. I put my faith faith. I put my faith in the people, but the people let me down. So I turned the other way and I carry on anyhow. That's why I'm telling you I just want to celebrate. Yeah, yeah. Another day of living. Yeah. I just want to celebrate another day of life. Had my hand on the dollar bill, and the dollar bill flew away. But the sun is shining down on me, and it's here to stay. From a band called Rare Earth, from 1971, way back in the time machine, I just want to celebrate. You're welcome for that earworm. It's been in my head all week. I can't get it out. My reading is nothing without the drums and the guitar riff, but I'll leave that to you. But this song captures something about us, doesn't it? It captures the fact that we want to celebrate. Unless something's tweaked in us, we want joy. We won't celebrate. We actually misunderstand sometimes and think that life should be this continual celebration under the sun. It's not. But as our gaze is fixed above the sun, we can enter into that place where rightly understood every day is a day of celebration. We all want the good life. We all tend to define that our own way. But we just don't always know where to find it. The old, old song, looking for love in all the wrong places. We, we do that. Solomon is telling us where to find a big and lasting joy. A joy in the Lord that defines everything else and abides with us even in the midst of the storm. Did you know, we, don't, we, didn't, we may not have thought this before, but Ecclesiastes is a book about joy. And it's a book about where to find joy, about how to have a lasting joy. And I understand that more than I ever have as we've been studying through it. Listen to me. The key to you having the good life is not having more. The key to you finding the good life is not you getting more. It's in being satisfied with what you have. The answer is not in more. Happiness is not out there somewhere just beyond your reach. It's in satisfaction in what you have spiritually, then physically, above the sun, and then under the sun. See, this text we're going to look look at today, if you just read it, you think it's saying, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's not not its point at all. That's not its point at all. That's not Solomon's point at all. Eat, drink, and be merry in celebration of the God that is your God and of His grace that is yours in Christ Jesus so that you can look at that tomorrow when you die with confidence and call it gain because you have victory over life and death in the Lord Jesus Christ. Under the sun, life seems like a bad joke and the punchline is death. If you just limit your view of life from just under the sun, under the clouds, not considering God, it'll look like chaos sometimes, like nobody's in control. But then you get a glimpse above the sun. Then you see the coming judgment. Then you see life from God's perspective and like the psalmist, you go, oh, I really have it pretty good after all. We look above the sun and we find true meaning and we find lasting joy. So in our text today, it's just some directions on how to find the good life. Finding satisfaction and therefore joy in the good gifts of God. And the good news is that the good life is within your reach if you're a child of God. God has provided it for us in Christ. So today, verses 7-10, through 10, titled The Good Life. Main point, trust and enjoy your God by learning to enjoy the good life He has given you. You could substitute in there by learn, learning to be satisfied and enjoy the good life He's given you. The good life flows from the throne of grace in heaven down to us. And if we won't seek it there, we won't find it. But look at this text. In this text, we're, we're going to see, I'm sort of bringing in some of the things we've already studied about joy where in order to be joyful, you know, you, you have to have some other things going on. You, you can't be joyful without being grateful. You can't be joyful without being content. And those are foundation stones for building a life of joy. So, and then we're looking through these good earthly things He's given us up to joy the spiritual reality that these things point us to so that we're, we're finding the good life in Him and in who He is and in what He's done for us so that we then trust Him with what He's given us and we're satisfied where we are and enjoy Him in the midst of it. And He can change that in the future. But you have everything you need today to be satisfied today, therefore to be joyful today. Nothing else you need, although you might think you do, to find joy, because Christ hasn't changed and the gospel hasn't changed. Anyway, I'm rambling on because there's so much here, I won't cover it all. And, and I'm glad we have lunch for you because we might be here a while. But no, I'm going to spend most of my time, a lot of time on the first point, not as much on the second and third. Just there are reasons for that. Um, and then we'll move on. But look at the first, the first point: the good life is enjoyed in eating well. Verse 7, the good life is enjoyed in eating well. Go eat your bread. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has approved of what you do. Or God approves of this. They're good gifts of God. When we eat, first of all, when we're bringing in our previous content, when we eat, we should be grateful for what we eat. We don't deserve food. Kids, you don't deserve food. We don't deserve good things. And yet we have so many of them and we should be grateful. Why do we say grace or we might not call it grace? Maybe you call it the blessing, saying the blessing before a meal. The main point of that is some of us call it giving thanks. It is for us to recognize that this food is a good gift of God. So we are to be thankful for it. We're to be grateful for it. I've I've been interested lately in in some of the traditional Jewish prayers. And um, no authority in them. They're beautiful. And they they remind us of something good. Because if you read uh, some of the the tradition or, or the prayers around the meal, you'll see that they would pray both before and after the meal. Right? They didn't say just good bread, good meat, let's eat. You know, here's here's just a sample of that. Before the meal, um, I don't remember if I gave them slides for this or not, but just listen to me. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Ah, there's meat in there. The Lord our God has brought forth bread from the earth, and I have it, and bread representing the the meal, right? Right? And then after the meal, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who in His goodness provides sustenance for the entire world with grace, with kindness, and with mercy. He gives food to all flesh, for His kindness is everlasting. Rejoicing before the meal, during the meal, after the meal, in God, in His kindness. There's no way to truly enjoy the good gift of the table and table fellowship without gratitude. And there's something powerful about table fellowship and about eating dinner together as a family. Not spread all over the place. I'm sorry, kids, not sitting there with your phones. Put them in a basket, parents, somewhere else. Let them cry, they'll get over it. Eat dinner together and thank God and enjoy God throughout the process. Later you will give thanks for that. If life is less like this, you'll run into stuff less and you'll have more joy. Don't let these things are good servants, they're horrible masters. That's not in my notes. But anyway, be grateful. Eat together. Enjoy it. Be contented. We eat well when we are content with our meal. We know that our God is sovereign. Behold our God. We just sang that, right? We have what we need. So be content with what He's provided and know He's sovereign. He's provided what we have. It's what we need right now. So be content. We we have to learn to be content with very small things. Paul Paul said this. He said, don't desire to be rich. Be content. Trust God with what He gives you and use it well. There's no sin in being rich, but there's great devastation in making that your purpose. But He said this in 1 Timothy 6 8. Now, watch the simple thing and what He's learned to be content with. If we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. That's a searching thing, isn't it? Are you contented? Is your soul at rest and trusting God? With daily bread. With what he told us to pray for. Do we worry about tomorrow's bread? Matthew chapter 6. Do we have more confidence and security if our bank account is large? Versus when it's these all things, these are things that test us. Be contented with what God has provided. And then getting back to our text, enjoy your meal. Glorify God by enjoying what He's provided. Now, trigger alert here. I'm going to trigger some legalists this morning. I'm going to trigger some teetotalers this morning. Not intentionally, but it's here. And i got to preach it. So just grab hold to your seat. You'll be okay. But look what it says. Two elements to the meal that represent everything, obviously. Food and drink. Bread, representing all foods. Enjoy the bread. Enjoy the meal. Enjoy it in a line with what God's Word tells you how to enjoy it. Don't be a glutton, but there's a time for feasting as well. Right? Enjoy the food as a good gift from God. You have everything you need. Enjoy it and look to Him. Physical bread. If you just had physical bread, you'd have enough. Praise God, most of us have way more than that. We miss something by not having to pray for our daily bread, don't we? We got a month's worth or more. And if you're a prepper, I don't know how much you've got. But all that can go away in a heartbeat. He says, eat your bread with joy. Not just eat your bread. And so, just let you take that home with you. When you eat your bread, are you enjoying your God? We're meant to enjoy good meals, good tasting meals. Meals with each other. But to enjoy Him through that meal. For it points us to His sovereignty and His provision. Eat your bread with joy. Now, here's where the trigger is going to happen drink your wine with a merry heart. Wine representing all drinks, be thankful for, enjoy. Just like with food, you can abuse it and be a glutton. With wine, You can abuse it and be a drunkard. But bread and wine are approved of God. It's right there. He knew he needed to say this, especially to us in this day. Our minds are so out of shape with so much tradition and legalism that we need to be recalibrated to God's truth. And he says, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for... God approves of this. This word is yayin in the Hebrew. And it's the general word for wine translated by oinos in the New Testament, in the Septuagint. And then you have that word in the New Testament. And you know what they mean? They mean wine. They don't mean grape juice. Mr. Welch wasn't alive yet uh, for a long time. This is the same stuff that Noah drank and was drunk. And there were some mistakes made around that. This is the same stuff that Lot's daughters gave him to get him intoxicated. This is the same stuff that the New Testament says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Notice it doesn't say don't drink wine. And no, it wasn't so watered down that it would be impossible to get drunk off of it. Otherwise, we wouldn't be warned against that. And yes, when Jesus created wine from water at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, it was the very best wine. And it was real wine. And it was a good gift of God that he, God entrusted to His people to use rightly. And if they abused it, it was on them, not Him. There is absolutely... Nothing wrong with you having a glass of wine with your meal. Kids, if you're old enough, sorry. Nothing wrong. In fact, God approves of it. We don't get very many things in Scripture where He says explicitly, I approve of this. It's real wine it's, as it's real bread. Is there a danger in bread? Yes, gluttony. I, I don't know if anybody brought fried chicken today. Fried chicken is dangerous. It will harm you if you eat too much of it. But boy, it'll gladden your heart if you don't. If it's made well. If somebody from the South cooked it. Just like grits. Don't let a northerner cook grits for you. You won't enjoy them. And I don't blame them for not liking them when they cook them that way. Bread is a good gift. Food is a good gift. Chicken is a good gift. To be used responsibly, not abused. There's a danger in fried chicken, but we don't talk about fried chicken like we do wine, do we? Legalists very rarely pick on fried chicken. Most of the time it's obvious wine, but... But we pick on wine. And I'm just telling you, this is real wine that God says He approves of. Wine is one of God's good gifts. That is to be enjoyed responsibly. And used responsibly. Listen, not everybody can do that. If you can't do that, stay away from it. Because it will be a mocker. And it will do harm if it's abused. My brother was a personality that couldn't do that. If he was going to drink anything, he was going to drink everything, and he was going to do it as fast as he could possibly do it. I'm serious. That's why he died from drug abuse. He came to Christ before he did, praise God. So there are certain people who've been taken captive by it who can't partake in it, and they just need to fence it off, and I get that. But don't make your fence my fence, because God has not. Don't judge me... I hesitate. I get in trouble so much. You know the difference between a Baptist and a Presbyterian, one of them? The Presbyterian will speak to you in the liquor store. (laughs) Don't don't see people buying a six-pack of beer and judge them. They might be putting it on the grass. She makes me buy beer to spray on the grass. And I'm not saying don't drink one. Don't drink six. But Don't have one. You know, you, do you see what I'm saying? We make, so, we make, we make mountains out of molehills and, and things that aren't even molehills. And, and we judge people. Oh, did you know I saw them buying a bottle of wine in the grocery store? Okay, so you assumed they were going to sin with it? Because they didn't sin by buying it. Stop judging people. Charles Spurgeon had a friend. I know y'all have heard these stories. You're tired of them, but there are new people in here. (coughs) Charles Spurgeon had a Methodist friend who used to just hammer him over him smoking cigars. And no, it's not a sin to have a cigar any more than it is to eat a chicken leg. (laughs) Spurgeon finally told his friend, I'll quit when I have too many. And his friend said, How many is too many? Charles Spurgeon said, Two at one time. (laughs) Eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with joy. Do it responsibly. It's part of a great meal. I got to tell you, if you have a great piece of steak or or a, a great piece of fish, and you pair that with the right glass of wine, it takes it to another level to be enjoyed and to thank God for. Not to be abused. Don't have six glasses of wine. Yes, I said don't do that. But listen, those who say it's never okay to have wine or beer or a drink are in opposition to God in His Word who says it's okay. He says it's approved of. And I'll say this to you, and I believe it's true. Legalism is far more harmful to the church than my glass of wine. And a lot of the opinions we have nowadays about wine come from legalists and teetotalers who misinterpreted God's word and tried to explain away a bunch of stuff. They didn't do it about fried chicken and all the other things that can be a danger. And when when God's word's talking about not destroying the temple, it's talking about sexual immorality. Quit yanking stuff out of context and saying, that's about a cigarette. Enjoy God's good gifts and glorify Him in the use of them. Don't eat too much. Don't drink too much. Don't be afraid to use the God gifts that are God's good gifts that are legal and helpful and in the way that will glorify Him. And you, just as you can eat bread with joy, you can drink wine with joy. And as I said, some people can't handle it and shouldn't drink it. They can't do it with moderation, so they shouldn't drink it but they shouldn't make that a law for those around them. And if you're judging people because you see them buy a six-pack of beer or pulling out of the liquor store or buying a bottle of wine, that's on you. I'm sorry. Now, we do need to be careful how we exercise our freedom because there are weaker brothers and sisters in the church. So if, if, if somebody's coming over to our house, and I don't know where they stand. I guess I'm letting the cat out of the bag now, but okay, God said he approved of it. But I'm not going to flaunt it in their face. If I don't know where they stand, it's going to stay put away. And we'll have tea, which is another good drink with southern cooking. Anyway, (laughs) be careful with your freedom. Don't harm your brother with your freedom. But God says He approves of this. And yes, it was real wine. And you can see why I thought I might be here a long time today. i got to move on. Early church father, Clement of Rome. Maybe you've heard of him. He died in A.D. 100. He said this, I love this quote and I wanted to share it with you. It is fitting then that some apply wine by way of of physic, which is for medicine, for the sake of health alone, and others for the purposes of relaxation and enjoyment. For first, now watch this, I'm going to have to explain a couple of terms here. For first, wine makes the man who has drunk it more benignant. That sounds scary, doesn't it? It just means it makes him more kind and benevolent until he abuses it, and you'll see that, than before. more, And I laughed out loud when I read this. More agreeable to his boon companions. (laughs) Who is that? Do you have any boon companions? I hope you do. Think think close friends. Think homeboy. Think BFF or homegirl or whatever the current terminology is. These, our, a boon companion was a close friend that you were shared you know, your table with and, and other things. So it makes him kinder to his domestics, more pleasant to his friends. But when intoxicated, he becomes violent instead. When, when you have control over it and you use it as a good gift, so it's a good thing. The moment it has control over you, it's a bad thing. A really bad thing. In fact, John Chrysostom wrote, and I didn't give you the quote, that, that those who spoke against the right use of wine, you should punch them in the mouth. So, in, his, in church history, we have prescriptions to punch heretics and teetotalers. I'm not saying you should do that. You didn't hear me say do that. Well, Kevin did. But the Jews also had a prayer over the wine. They said, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe who creates the fruit of the vine. Psalm 104, verse 15. Praising God for things here. It says, praise God for... And wine to gladden the heart of man and oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen his heart. How then... Do we enjoy God? And how does bread and wine point us to God? Well, we've already talked about Him providing. This meal is here. He's provided for it. But think about what we're going to do today. Bread and wine. Yes, there's coming a day when you'll see wine in the communion plate. There'll be juice in there for you who need it or your kids and things like that. But the church used wine in the celebration of communion up until the 1800s. Did you know that? Mr. Welch is the one who decided to pasteurize it and make grape juice and take wine out of the plate because, well, not for biblical reasons. But for the over 1,800 years, the church used wine. Today, it will be juice. Don't freak out. Oh no, what are you even, my kids? There's juice and, and bread in the plate. But we eat well. Lastly, we eat, uh, we eat well when we feed on Christ and the Lord's Supper. Another beautiful use. Probably the most beautiful use of bread and wine is to visibly and tastably portray to us our Lord who is the bread of life and who died to pay the penalty for our sin. That we might have life and wine picturing His blood that washes away our sin, His sacrifice, His death. Points us to the ultimate reason for our joy. And no, I'll say this later too, but we, we feed on Him by faith in our hearts as we partake of the the elements. They're not changed. But another beautiful use of bread and wine is to point us to our Lord and His sacrifice. And the bread of life poured out to reconcile us to God. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and He was raised the third day according to the scriptures. And salvation is by repenting and trusting in Him and Him alone for salvation. Have you done that? Are you His? Trust and rest in His precious life and perfect life, His sacrificial death, His glorious resurrection, and He is coming again someday. So, the good life is enjoyed by eating well. Secondly, the good life, and I'll move quicker on these, the good life is enjoyed in dressing well. And again, these these first two are quick, just reminding you, we dress well when we are grateful for what we have. We don't think we deserve more, we're thankful. We dress well when we're content with what we have and He's provided. We dress well, see, when we enjoy our physical clothing. And here it speaks of garments. Look look at what it says in verse 8. Let your garments be always white and let not oil be lacking on your head. Dr. Shaw has said that you know, the, the white clothes picture clean clothes, which picture uh, righteous acts in the Scripture, and we see that in Revelation. Um, Colin Dalich that white garments are in contrast to the black robes of mourning. This is figurative language here. doesn't mean we all have to show up next Sunday in a white suit. That would get really weird fast, wouldn't it? No, (laughs) But an expression of festal joy. Happy mood. White garments speak of purity. And in that sense, they're a type of the righteousness of Christ. And fragrant oil is refreshing oil. It presents happiness and joy called sometimes the oil of gladness. This is poetic language. The spiritual party wear if you want to... um, it put it that way but we're dressed we're to be dressed for celebration always remember rejoicing the lord always and again i say rejoice trusting in his perfect righteous life on our behalf so that we're beginning to walk in imitation of that trusting in his spirit the anointing to empower us to live for him see this is presenting to us that we, the good life is found, yes, in eating well, but it's found in living well or enjoying the, our dressing. And we enjoy from top down. We enjoy from having the righteous robes of Christ placed on us. Think about it. Before coming to Christ, we're dressed in filthy rags. What does that mean? Sinful, polluted rags. And what He did is He took our sinful, polluted rags, and put them on himself, died and paid the penalty for our sins that our sin deserved, obliterating such a record, and put his robe of righteousness on us. So if you're trusting in Jesus, not only has all your sin been washed away, but you are clothed in his perfect righteousness. Your record before God is one of perfect obedience in thought, word, and deed, out of joy and love and gratitude. To the Father. Because Christ's record is now your record if you're trusting in Jesus. Declared righteous by God on the basis of His Son, given to you through faith in which you trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. Justification. And then He begins at that point transforming you into Christ's image. So wear your clothes well, your spiritual clothes. Who is most afraid to step in a mud puddle? Somebody in work clothes or in a white suit? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Some people are scared of puddles no matter what. But if you're dressed in your Sunday best, whatever that is, the way people talk, you're going to avoid dirt more than if you're dressed in your work in the yard clothes. Same thing. If we're, if we're walking with a conscious, um, in, in a conscious adornment of the righteousness of Christ, it, it, His love and His grace to us motivates us too. Walk like Him and avoid the filth of sin. Be happy in Jesus because of what Jesus has done for you. Walk dressed in joy because of what Jesus has done for you. Be happy in Jesus. Look at me. Be happy in Jesus and tell your face about it. Some of you look like you've been baptized in pickle juice all the time. Not now because I'm being funny. But if we walk around, boy, that looks contagious, don't it? I mean, it is. You want to stay away from it. Be happy. Tell your face about it. Let other people know you're happy. Don't be just like, well, this is my happy face. Well, you need a new one. That one's broken. (laughs) Joy because of the righteousness of Christ. We dress well when we make the most of the physical provision of clothing He's provided, and when we continually rest and rejoice in the spiritual clothing He's provided for us in His Son, the righteousness of Christ. i got to move. The good life is enjoyed in loving well. He says, Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that He has given you under the sun, because this is your portion in life. Enjoy life With your wife, husbands, why is He speaking to us first? You need to set the tone. You're the spiritual leader of the house. You are commanded to love your wife the way Christ has loved you. And what we do is when we're dating and courting or whatever that is, we're all enthralled with one another. We look only at the things we like and we don't look at the things we don't like. We think we'll change them. And then we get married and we forget about all the good stuff and start focusing on the bad stuff and nitpicking at one another. Stop it. Husbands, you lead in stopping it. Notice the guy who had 300 wives and 700 concubines. Something got into his head. He said, the wife, one, your wife, love her and enjoy life with her. It's not just, and what this text is not saying, out of all your wives... Enjoy the one you love. I had a friend one time when he would introduce his wife, he'd say, this is my favorite wife. I don't know how he lived. <laughs> I didn't marry that kind of woman. Be careful, guys. Never call your wife your old lady. Especially not in her hearing. Enjoy Enjoy life with the. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Very few of us have been given the gift to remain single and serve the Lord. Some have, most have not. Enjoy life with the wife that He gave you. Remember, He's sovereign, He's in control. He gave you exactly the wife you need. And some of us, He gave us way above our heads. It's more that she has to put up with me than I have to put up with her. She didn't know what a crazy life she was getting. But God did. Guys, look at me. Refocus. Rededicate. Look to Jesus and how He loves you. And love your wife that way. Does she deserve it? No. But neither do you. Dang, y'all quit picking at one another. Well, I when he or I when she... Stop. I because he. That's it. In Christ you have enough in Christ to be joyful every day of your life if you are married to Satan's sister? Yes. Be faithful. Now there's church discipline for Satan's sister and all of that, but... (laughs) Be careful who you marry. Listen, there's wisdom in God telling us not to marry outside of the Lord. But I'll bring him to Christ. Or I'll bring her to Christ. Uh-uh. And that's not what he said do. Don't marry for mission reasons. Because most times they don't work out. And be careful, ladies. Ladies, be careful. Because we're tricky. And if a guy likes you, he will feign conversion. Oh, I'm a Christian now. Because she's pretty. Uh, look for fruit. If he, look for fruit. Be careful. Trust your pastor. Trust your, your parents unless they're whacked out. But we love well when we're grateful for our spouse. Are you grateful for your spouse? We love well when we're content. This is for you ladies too. We love well when we're content with our spouse and we love well when we enjoy our spouse as Christ has loved and enjoyed us. It's it's so hard to believe, isn't it? He sings over us. Knuckleheaded as we are. Marriage pictures Christ and His church the most intimate relationship on earth. So guys, be sure that you are working in your marriage with the gospel, looking above the sun so that you are working for a marriage that looks like Christ and His church, an intimate relationship. Have eyes for no other, be it on the screen or in person. Guys, He's calling us to purity in our relationships. And that starts before you get married. I'm not married, so whatever. No. Love the Lord. Honor Him. If you're trapped, you feel trapped, you're not trapped. But if you feel trapped and taken captive by the screen and by what you might be seeing on the screen, seek help now. Because you're commanded to repent. He give you everything you need to repent, but you might need help from a brother or sister to do that. Be pure. Enjoy life with your spouse. Guys, lead the way. Enjoy life with the wife. It's your portion. She's given to you by God. We love well when we love our wives well. We love our Lord well, and therefore we we can't love our Lord without loving our spouse. So many places. You see, this, this could turn into a marriage conference right quick. We love well when we love our spouse the way Christ has loved us and strive to enjoy life with them. We love well when we daily focus on loving our heavenly husband by being joyful and keeping his commandments and therefore enjoying him. The good life is enjoyed in loving well as well as it's enjoyed in dressing well and eating well and lastly in working well and i got to move quick. But we, are, we work well we we the good life is enjoyed in working well. Verse ten. Let me just read that. I'm back up a little bit into verse verse nine. But um, in your toil, at which you toil under the sun, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you're going. We work well when we are grateful for our work, our calling, and and listen. Try to find your calling. God created you with certain gifts and strengths and weaknesses right don't just look for the job you can make the most money at that's what we're guilty of that all you know no how are you tuned how did god create you what gifts did he give you there's a calling on your life identify what it is if you find your calling you'll never work a day in your life i mean it'll be burdens and trials but you'll know you're you're doing what you're called to do because you're doing what you're gifted to do we, we work well when we are grateful for our work, when we're contented in our work. Are you content in your work right now? Especially this is talking to older folks, not kids. Are you content in your work right now? You should be. re, re re-evaluate that. God is sovereign. He has you right where you are for a purpose. And you have everything you need right now to be <laughs> joyful if you're living above the sun down. So are you grateful and are you content? Doesn't mean you'll never want a different job or never move, but right now today... Are you content? Thy will be done, trusting it to Him. And then finally, we work well when we enjoy our work. We work well when we enjoy our work. See, He's looking at life under the sun, the life that we experience with our senses, but we have to look above the sun to really enjoy our work because we see it as a sovereign placement of God. He has us exactly where we need to be today to be growing in Christ-likeness. So are you, are you enjoying your work because through it you're serving Him? I guess that's the best way to ask that. The good life is found in working hard. Kids, the good life is not found in laziness and other people giving you stuff. Hopefully your parents, from the time you can remember, are making you do some work and not just giving you money and stuff. Because life's not going to treat you that way. As soon as soon That's why so many people keep running back home. They get spoiled to death and go out in the world and the world slaps them around a little bit and they want to run back home where they had it easy. Sit in the basement, play video games. That's not life. Joy in this world, living the kingdom life in this world is is one of its characteristics as hard work. Notice what he said. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with joy. Mediocrity. Eh, good enough. Uh Uh-uh. With all your might. Love the Lord with all your might. Strength. Serve Him in your work. Serve as though you're serving Him because you are. The good life is made up of working hard. And if you're a hard worker, praise God, if you're doing it for the right reason if you're doing it for the One who has sacrificed His Son for you. Be a Marine for Jesus' sake. Be a doctor. Be a lawyer. Be, you know, be serving Him. You're His kingdom ambassador in that context. Work hard. Enjoy Him where you are. And if you focus on and you purpose to glorify Him in what you're doing and, and doing it well as though you're serving the Lord, then the promotions and stuff take care of themselves. Aim at His glory. Experience his good, He'll take you where you need to go. But kingdom life is hard-working life. It's not lazy life. A lot of us need to figure that out. We do well when we work to honor God, in our physical calling, work by doing it with all our might, and when we sacrifice a significant portion of our time on kingdom work. How are you working for the kingdom? How are you serving in His kingdom? How are you serving in His church? How are you praying for His people, witnessing to those who don't know Him, cleaning the nursery, whatever the job is? How, how, what, what portion? It's all kingdom work if it's kingdom done for Him, but there's a portion of it to be done in His mission and His church. So the good life is enjoyed as we remember To eat well, to dress well, to love well, to work well. The good life is being grateful for what God has provided. It's being content with what God has provided. And it's enjoying what God has provided spiritually in Christ first and then in Him, seeing Him as the King in what He's provided in this world. Physically, if we have food and clothing, we should be grateful, contented, and joyful. Spiritually having Christ, we are rich beyond our dreams. Our souls are fed by His Spirit with His Word. We are clothed in His righteousness and perfection. We are the bride of Christ without spot or wrinkle because of His sacrifice for us. And He works in us and through us to glorify His name as we work for His kingdom. See, we have a better strategy for joy than the song recommended, just looking the other way. And that the physical sun is shining down on us and it's here to stay. We have joy in the fact that the Son of God is shining down on us and that He's not going away. He promised to be with us and for us to the end of the age. He's purchased joy for us. Lasting joy in our redemption in Him and in His basic daily provision. That points us up to all that we have in Him. Our needs are met. We are secure. We have a bright future and a hope in the Son of God who has lived for us and died for us and been raised for us. So let's celebrate every day as He enables us. Let's celebrate our God By enjoying His provisions, spiritual and physical, living the good life by loving and enjoying Him. Jesus has given you the good life. Look to Jesus, trust in Jesus, and find it there. A life of peace, a life of rest, a life of celebration of His grace in the midst of the storms that come while we live in a fallen world. It is all yours through an intentional satisfaction in your Lord Jesus Christ. Piper's right when he says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Be satisfied in your Savior and then you can every day sing I just want to celebrate another day of life in Jesus. To live as Christ. Let's pray. Lord, help us. We so often get our gaze, our focus, our attention trapped under the sun. We forget who you are. We forget who we are in you. We're ruled by the tyranny of the urgent. And we're just running around putting out fires and feeling exhausted and getting frustrated and May our food remind you of your goodness. May our clothing, I mean, remind us of your goodness. May our clothing remind us of your goodness. Lord, help us to see through the things of daily life to you in your goodness. May our wives or our husbands remind us of, of your goodness. Some days we might have to look hard, but you are our husband, our spouse, our Savior. And you have given us everything we need to glorify you in our marriage relationship. So help us, Lord. And help us to remember your goodness as we work. We are created to work six days and rest one. So help us to glorify you in our occupation or our callings. Help us to glorify You in our service in Your kingdom, in Your church. Two are not separated, but help us to serve You well. To serve one another well. That's a better way to put it. To love one another the way Christ has loved us. Sacrificially. May all of our hope be in You, Lord Jesus. May our purpose and and dedication flow from You. May your word define life, and may we find lasting joy because we are contented in you, grateful for what you have provided, enjoying you in our relationships and walking with you and working because you work in us to will and to work according to your good pleasure. Lord, I pray for those who don't know you. Convict them of sin, of unrighteousness, of a need for a Savior. And point them to the mercy of God available in Christ Jesus. Let them not die and face the judgment alone. Answer for their breaking of your law and thought, word, and deed. But let them turn to Christ and be hidden in Him. And know that their sins are forgiven. That they are clothed in His righteousness. That they are your children. So to live is Christ, and therefore to die is gain. Those of us who know you, Lord, rededicate us to enjoying you. Help us to learn to enjoy you when life is hard. We so often wait to enjoy you until it's easier, happier, something we see as good happens. Help us to enjoy you every day, to obey your scripture, to rejoice in you always, because our hearts are fixed on you, our loving Lord, who reigns over this earth, who promises to make all things work together for our good, who promises to give us everything we truly need, who promises to work through us for the growth of his kingdom, who promises to take us all the way home to the new heavens and the new earth. Help us to have a great hope and therefore a great rejoicing, a great rest of our souls in the great good news that Christ died for our sins and he was buried and he was raised the third day. Give us a living and rejoicing hope in a living Savior, we pray. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.